team for leading us. If you have a copy of the Scriptures with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel according to John. John wrote this biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus according to John chapter 20, verse 31, so that people like you and I would become convinced that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And that his offer of eternal life was legitimate. And so as we make our way through this gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry, we will either embrace him as our our Savior or we'll reject him, but you will not be able to ignore him. Last week, we focused on John chapter 3, verses 22 and 26, and we're reminded that perspective matters. The way we see things, our perspective impacts our thinking, our feelings, our reactions, and our actions. John chapter 3, verse 22 to 26, presented three perspectives on Jesus' ministry in Judea. The disciples of John the Baptist saw Jesus as a competition, a competitor, and maybe even a threat. Then there is John the Baptist's perspective. He saw Jesus' ministry as the fulfillment of his life mission. Finally, the Apostle John presented his perspective on Jesus' ministry, and, and not surprisingly, In keeping with his reason for writing this gospel account, he viewed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. But perspective matters. How we view Jesus impacts our thinking, our feelings, our actions, and our reactions. Therefore, it is absolutely essential that you and I have an accurately, accurate, biblically informed view of Jesus. This morning we want to continue on in our study of the Gospel of John by by focusing on an encounter Jesus has with with a Samaritan woman, as reported in John chapter 4. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me at this time for the reading from God's Word. Beginning at John chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, 
and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. May God help us to understand his word this morning. You may be seated. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Indeed, may it be done right here at the Rock Community Church. And even in our individual lives as it is in heaven. Thank you for these scriptures, a special revelation of your person, your plans, and your purposes. By them, we understand that we are transformed little by little so that we become more and more like Jesus. May that transformation continue this morning as we watch and learn from Jesus' interaction with this Samaritan woman by the power of your Holy Spirit, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was mid-afternoon on June 12, 1982, standing on a platform erected in front of the Brandenburg Gate 
flanked by the West German president, Chairman Helmut Kohl, the mayor of West Berlin, President Ronald Reagan offered a challenge that would become part of his legacy. Listen as I read an excerpt. We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, Tear down this wall. Here in John chapter 4, Jesus is not standing on a platform, but sitting by a well. He's not surrounded by dignitaries. In fact, he's sitting alone. He doesn't offer a challenge, but he, he does express a need. And although separated by centuries, This wall that Jesus tore down was just as imposing and real as that concrete and razor wire that separated East and West Berliners. Verse 1 through 6 of John chapter 4 provides some helpful background. It sets the stage for for this Jesus-Samaritan woman encounter. Notice, first of all, the parenthetical statements identified by the translators. In the New American Standard Bible, there's two of them, but in the NIV and the ESV, the translators identify three. Verse 2, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then at the very end of verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. These are significant details because although they do do not move the, the plot of the story along, parenthetical statements are used to explain and qualify the words and the actions of the characters of the story. In other words, they they provide important background information for future readers, people like you and and me. And verses 1 to 3 remind me of those the words of that old Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, when to walk away, and when to run. Jesus didn't run but he did walk away when he learned that according to verse 1, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Remember, as far as the synoptic Gospels were concerned, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' public ministry did not begin until after John had been incarcerated. 
Mark chapter 1 verse 14 reads, After John had been taken into Galilee, and when Jesus returned to, to Galilee, that is when it started. Sorry, after, after John had been taken into custody. And so that suggests that, that Jesus' departure from Judea at this point in time was a timely exit. Clearly, these Pharisees posed a very real threat to Jesus' expanding ministry. John the Baptist, his imminent incarceration is all the proof that we need. And so maybe there's a lesson here for, for you and I. Timing is everything. Remember the birth that we're about to celebrate on December the 25th. Galatians chapter 4 states, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, timing can be everything. I've often found myself praying prior to entering an appointment with someone. Father, let my words be appropriate and timely. That's based in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer. And how delightful is a timely word. Interesting enough, two and a half years later, Jesus would be determined to return to Jerusalem in spite of life-threatening, or even more accurately, life-ending circumstances. On that occasion, he would know that he's a dead man walking. And yet, you see, timing can be everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 reads, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Then he goes on and gives examples. Time to give birth and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. You see, timing is important. It can make all the difference in the world between getting it right and getting it wrong. So the lesson for you and I, as we play the hand that we've been dealt, is to be sensitive to timing. As we obey the word, rely on the Spirit's power, surround ourselves with godly trusted advisors as we pray. On this specific occasion, it was the right time for Jesus to walk away. And as he walked, his GPS chose the shortest route from Judea to his home province of Galilee 
taking him right through the province of Samaria. Remember that parenthetical statement in verse 9? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Especially a young Jewish rabbi who is trying to build his credibility. But why did Jews not associate with Samaritans? They worshipped the same God. They even used the same Torah, the five books of Moses. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Jesus told that parable in response to a question, Who is my neighbor? In the parable, a traveler who had been robbed and beaten, stripped and left by the side of the road to die. First, a priest and a Levite, representatives of the Jewish religious establishment, passed by on the other side. And then a a despised Samaritan came along and came to the man's aid and provided all that he needed that would ensure his recovery. The power of the parable is in that long-standing, smoldering, historic, political, religious, and social animosity that have been built as an insurmountable wall between Jew and Samaritan. The building of that wall began about 930 years before the birth of Jesus, following King Solomon's reign. It was at that time that the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom consisting of ten tribes, and a southern kingdom, Judah, existing of two tribes. Later, when King Omri ruled the northern kingdom, Samaria became its capital. And that label even expanded to consist of the territory around the city. And at times we find in Scripture that the entire northern kingdom is referred to as Samaria. But in 722 B.C., so 700 years before the birth of Christ, the Assyrian army came in and captured the city of Samaria, deported all the Israelites, and replaced them by bringing in foreigners. These pagans brought their idols and false worship with them. And as time passed, they began to intermarry with the remaining Israelites. And those who had been deported did the same thing. And later as they began to migrate back into Samaria, the Jews considered them to be a nation of half-breeds, polluted by pagan practices, unclean, ceremonially contaminated. This is that wall that stood between them, between Jew and Samaria. Although not visible to the human eye, was accepted by both parties as an insurmountable barrier. Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And the feeling was mutual. So let me try to to summarize these opening verses that set the context for this Jesus-Samarian encounter. Jesus, having learned that 
his ministry had caught the attention of the Pharisees, decided to return to Galilee by traveling through the, the despised and contaminated province of Samaria. And so as we enter this episode, I'd like us to focus our attention on what Jesus said. So those who have a red letter edition Bible this morning, you're at a distinct advantage. He speaks five times in these 26 verses. And as we focus on what he has said, we'll discover some evidence that he is the Christ, the Son of God. But we'll also see an example to follow when we're sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Jesus, while sitting alone at a well on the outskirts of Sychar, built a bridge over a long-standing wall that allowed a Samaritan woman to cross over from death to life. And now, as we sit here this morning, we are his ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are his bridge builders. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, bridge builders. Bridge Building bridges can tear down walls. Let's look at his first speech found in verse 7. It's a short one. Give me a drink. Jesus, being wearied, and literally that means to be tired or weary as a result of a hard or difficult endeavor. Let me just say that Jesus is exhausted. He was absolutely spent, having walked 15 to 20 miles. And trust me, Cynthia and I have visited Israel, and it's nothing like southern Saskatchewan, flat as a pancake. In Israel, it's up and down, 15 miles, up and down the hills. And now it was in the hottest part of the day. Jesus was exhausted. He was hungry. He was thirsty. There's some evidence. Evidence that he is the Christ, the the Son of God. Fully man and fully God. But although exhausted, Jesus took the initiative to engage a Samaritan woman. Follow his example. Build a bridge. Take the initiative by expressing a need. I remember reading years ago that one of the obstacles we face in winning opportunities to share our faith with not yet believers is that we're always trying to do things for them and never allowing them to do something for us. We come across as iron men and women with no needs at all. Jesus was tired. He was hungry and he was thirsty. Remember the parenthetical statement in verse 8? For his disciples had gone away into the city, into a Samaritan city, to buy food. It was lunchtime. And so it was the sixth hour of the day, we're told, noon. And speaking of the sixth hour, this is a strange time of day 
for a woman to come to the well. Typically, water drawing took place in the early morning or in the late evening, in the cool of the day, to avoid that that Mediterranean heat. It's not unheard of, but the fact that this woman shows up at noon reminds us of her social isolation. In this culture where male and female roles were well-defined, drawing water was women's work. But it was not necessarily considered burdensome when most of their tasks would be completed in relative isolation of the home, a trip to the well offered a unique opportunity to interact with other women from their community. And yet this unnamed Samaritan woman comes at a time when she most certainly would avoid contact with others. Later in the story, we learn some more details about her life that may explain why she made this calculated attempt to avoid other women. How do you think other women would respond to a woman who, according to verse 18, had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband? Three strikes and you're out. Strike one, you're a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan woman. And a woman, strike two in this culture. A woman of questionable moral character, strike three. But Jesus took the initiative to express his need to a social outcast, even among her own people. So the surprising thing is, not that Jesus asked her for help with a drink. The surprising thing is, is that he acknowledged her at all. And the Samaritan woman was just as surprised. Look at verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And then the disciples as well. Look at verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one asked, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Tear down that wall. Jesus wasn't just passing through Samaria. He was breaking through a historical, political, religious, social barrier that had stood the test of time for generations. Even in our culture, you and I, we face all kinds of of barriers that divide and, and separate us. Think about it. Smoker, non-smoker, extrovert, introvert, married, unmarried, divorced or widowed, leader, follower, male, female, liberal, conservative, race, reformed, Anabaptist, Calvinistic, Arminian, believer, unbeliever. 
John Moore and Ken Neff wrote the following in their book on the New Testament church. One of the basic skills many of us picked up as children was the ability to major on the minors. Whether it was in comparisons of Christmas presents, the number of peas or green beans on the plate, or who stayed up the latest last night, we specialize in matters of distinction, not unity. Yet the opposite is stressed in the New Testament, and the opposite is to be true of New Testament saints. As New Testament saints, we are ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are his bridge builders. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, bridge builders. Building bridges can tear down walls. Speech 2, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it was, who it is, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus uses a a puzzling statement that would have made that Samaritan woman shake her head, say, what? What are you talking about? Jesus was just simply suggesting that she was missing a provision of God because she lacked knowledge. Part of my scripture memory exercises this past week, I've been working on John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. James chapter 4, verse 2 informs us, you have, you do not have because you do not ask. But the Samaritan woman did not know how. So how could she ask? Unless Jesus used a puzzling statement that made her stop and think about spiritual possibilities. Follow his example. Build a bridge. Bait them by suggesting spiritual possibilities. Tell them what God would like to do for them. As New Testament saints, we're his ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. His bridge builders. Building bridges can tear down walls. Speech 3, verses 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus exercised all kinds of patience as he responded to the Samaritan woman's misunderstanding and, and even skepticism. 
Her thoughts reminded firmly grounded in physical realities. But Jesus responded by offering a contrast. And the contrast made it clear. He's not speaking of the water in the well, but he was talking about quenching a a thirst for God that would result in eternal life. Let's cheat for a moment. Flip ahead with me to John chapter 6 and verse 63. The first phrase of verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. And then chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus here in John chapter 4, it was making a veiled reference to the indwelling Holy Spirit. But water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. What an unbelievable advantage. But turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is one of these verses that you may want to highlight in your Bible. And certainly, you need to keep in the forefront of your mind as you share the gospel with not yet believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man, that's an unbeliever, man or woman, But an unbeliever does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. Not surprisingly, this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 didn't get it. She missed the spiritual realities. But, but, but notice she, she remains open. Sir, give me this water. Don't get discouraged with their slowness to grasp spiritual realities. Follow his example. Build a bridge. Share the benefits, advantages of a God-empowered life. When I'm given the opportunity to share my, my story of my conversion experience, I often mention, in fact, I can't think of a time when I don't mention, the peace of God that flooded into my life the moment that I acknowledged and confessed my sin, expressed my belief in Jesus Christ, and asked God to begin to help me to live a life that would please him, not just for myself. The peace that flooded into my life at that moment, it was almost like a physical sensation. 
And so when I'm, when I'm relaying that story to people, I often close with this comment. In my opinion, that has to be one of the greatest advantages of knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Peace with God. Knowing that it is well with my soul. Share the advantages of a God-empowered life. And ultimately, that's all we can do, folks. That's it. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus explained, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Our job is to be faithful in sharing the gospel with everyone and anyone who will take the time to listen. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, is famous for saying this, Successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. That's it. As New Testament saints, we are his ambassadors. Build a bridge. Building bridges can tear down walls. Speech number four, verses 16 to 18. Beginning of verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And you skip her response and you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Jesus exposed the ugliness, the hurt, the pain the embarrassment, the the failures in her life. Go, call your husband and come here. The Samaritan woman's response is a classic half-truth. I have no husband. There's a period there. Hmm. Listen, folks. From the Garden of Eden forward, We've all entered this ridiculous game of hide-and-seek. A game that's no game at all. We hide from one another and we hide from God. Turn back to the last two verses of John chapter 2. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And not only did he know what was in man, he knew all the details of this woman's marital status. Five husbands and now a live-in. By the way, this is more evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is no ordinary man. Oh yes, he gets hungry and tired and absolutely exhausted and thirsty, but he's so much more than a man. Fully God and fully man. God dressed 
and human flesh. But Jesus brought her hidden life into the light. He dared to point out that white elephant standing right there in the room. Follow his example. Build a bridge. Test their integrity. This is where us Canadians who who promote ourselves on the world stage as being the, the tolerant peacekeepers of the globe. We get a little squeamish here. But unbelievers need to acknowledge their sin. And unbelievers live in an inescapable, inescapable state of denial and justification. I'm not that bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. I'm not that bad. Jesus needs to do for unbelievers spiritually what he did for a blind man in John chapter 9 physically so that his story becomes their story. I was blind, but now I see. Each and every one of us needs to come to that point in our lives where we personalize Romans chapter 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fall short the glory of God. George Boyd, born July 24th, 1957. I didn't want to disclose that. 20, or 67. In Petrolia, Ontario, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are born sinners. Psalm 51 verse 5. Incapable of living up to the standard of perfection that God requires for relationship with him. As New Testament saints, we are his ambassadors. We've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Bridge builders. Bridge building can tear down those walls. Speech number 5, verses 21 to 24. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to come back to these verses next week. They're just crucial verses when it comes to worship and our relationship with God. So we want to focus on these next week. Um, so let me just kind of point to, to what Jesus does here. He invited this Samaritan woman to prepare to step into a new reality that God was making available. Become a true worshiper. The kind of worshiper that God is seeking. Follow his example. Build a bridge. 
Invite them to seek the life that God intends. On another occasion, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right, Joe? Other translators may help fill in the picture. A rich and satisfying life. Have it to the full. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Have and enjoy life. Have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. As New Testament saints, we are His ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Fishers of men, bridge builders. Building bridges can tear down walls. And there's one more, but it's a short one. Speech number six. I said five, there's there's six. I who speak to you am he. That just blows me away to read that. Jesus, hungry, thirsty, exhausted, alone, initiates a conversation with a despised, uninformed, adulterous, marginalized, nameless Samaritan woman and discloses his true identity as the Messiah. Wow. And by the way, there's more evidence that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. You see, Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Son of God. And so if he's not, he's a liar. John is convinced, and I have to admit, so am I. And many of you are as well. So follow his example. Build a bridge. Introduce them to Christ, to, to Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. As New Testament saints, we are His ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. Second Corinthians 5. We are His bridge builders. And He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Bridge builders. Building bridges can tear down walls. Fellow believers, tear down that wall by following Jesus' example. Take the initiative by expressing a need. Bait them by suggesting spiritual possibilities. Share the benefits, advantages of a God-empowered life. Test their integrity Invite them to seek the life God intends and to introduce them to Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And then, lead the results to God. May our faithfulness, sharing our faith, bear much fruit by the power of His Spirit and for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father, you are sovereign in all things. For many of us, one thing we do know, we were blind, but now we see. Why us? Why me? Remains a mystery, but we are eternally grateful. Enable us to be faithful ambassadors, celebrating you and your work, demonstrating the transformation that you are working in our lives so that we are becoming more and more like Jesus, and then proclaiming the gospel. Father, make us effective fishers of men, bridge builders. to members of our own families who are stuck in their unbelief, of friends who we've grown to love and care about, colleagues, neighbors, and even strangers that you'll bring across the paths of our lives. Help us to overcome our timidity and our fears, our fear of men, Grant us strength and courage. By your spirit and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.